Father in heaven, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We desire to keep your righteous rules, so give us life, O Lord, according to your word. Your testimonies are our heritage forever, for they are the joy of our hearts. So, Father, by your Holy Spirit, open your word and incline our hearts to follow it forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read together Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we've been doing a series through uh, the book of Philippians, and we've come to uh, chapter 4, and so we're going to read together chapter 4, verse 10 to verse 13. Let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Well, I don't know if you take much note of the sermon titles that I put in the bulletin, but uh, the title of our sermon is The Secret of Contentment. Uh, That might sound like a good self-help book title. Um, There's probably money to be made if we had a conference on uh, The Secret of Contentment. Um, Self-help is a big business in books and conferences and everything. It's about a $10 billion a year industry, which should tell us something about where people are looking for help, um, and they're trying to find it in themselves. Um, But of course, Paul is not talking about some kind of self-help when he reveals to us what the secret of learning to be content is in this text. Um, He's learned it by the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's revealing it to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we too might know how to find contentment, whatever the circumstances of life that we face. Um, And that's very important because if we look for contentment in the wrong places, we're not going to find it. Um, And so Paul has something important to teach us. We've come to this section of his letter where he's essentially making a thank you note to the church. He's about to close the letter and he wants to thank the church for what they've done. And so this is really the beginning of his thank you note to the church um, for everything in closing his letter. Um, And we can learn much from these few verses from that thank you note. And so we want to learn from this passage, true thankfulness. We see where his true thankfulness lies. Uh, We also see constant contentment, how he's able to learn that. Um, and also the prevailing power that enables him to do these things. Uh, So they don't all have the same letter, but each one has the same letter together. So it's true thankfulness, constant contentment, and prevailing power. Uh, So first in this this thank you note, we do see from Paul true thankfulness uh, to the church. Paul is grateful for their care for him, and we shouldn't miss that. Um, His point of saying, you know, I I can be content in every circumstance is not to say that he's not thankful to them for what they've done. 
It becomes clear later in this letter that they've sent a gift to Paul, probably money to help him in his imprisonment. Um, and so Paul really wants to express thankfulness. So his, his saying, I really don't need anything, is not to say that he's not thankful for their gift. Um, we shouldn't miss that his, his gratitude. What he wants them to understand is where, what is his real source of gratitude um, as he thinks about them and as he thinks about their gift to him and their care for him in this gift. Paul's been very thankful for this church. Um, this church has been a source of joy to him, as we've seen through the letter. He doesn't use the word joy. We've remarked a couple times, as many times as he does in this letter. This is a church that he doesn't have to bring harsh criticism or critique. It's been a joy to work with them. It's been a joy to hear how they're doing. And Paul has expressed again and again how thankful he is for them. Uh, that's how he started the letter in chapter 1, verse 5. Thankful for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, he acknowledged that they sent Epaphroditus to him to minister to him in his need, that that went at great expense to the church as he was an important part of the church in Philippi. Paul was very thankful that they were willing to spare him and send him to minister to Paul um, in his needs. And he's now acknowledging that he's very thankful for the gifts that they've sent to him and how much they've worked to give to him. Um, but he wants them to know that he's thankful for them uh, regardless if they're able to give him anything or not. His point of saying, I didn't need your gift, is not to diminish the love they've shown to him or his thankfulness for the gift that they've given. But he wants to make sure that they understand he's not just thankful for them because they gave him something. Right? There, there's an easy way to just be thankful because you received something. Um, as if you know you were maybe a homeless person winning the lottery. You'd be thankful for that. You'd be thankful for that money. It would come to you in an amazing time of need. But he wants them to understand exactly why he's thankful for them. Um, it comes across, um, it's, it's not because of his need, although he was in need, right, in verse 11. But he wants them to understand, it's not that I'm speaking of being in need. That's not why I'm thankful for what you've done. My great joy, he says, in, coming, in knowing that you care for me. That's what I want you to understand what I'm thankful for, Paul says. Not so much the gift that you gave, but the heart that it reveals. Um, that, that you care for me. And that's what I'm really thankful for, Paul says, that you cared for me. And I know that you cared for me even when you don't send gifts. Or more appropriately, as he says here, maybe when you were unable to send gifts to me. Paul acknowledges in verse 10, at the end of verse 10, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Um, he, he, he wants them to understand that he knows how they feel about him, that he's thankful for the expression of the gift, but he wants them to know that even when they didn't have the opportunity to do anything for him, he was thankful to know that they cared for him. He was thankful to know that their hearts were with him. We don't know why they didn't have opportunity to help Paul before now. Um, maybe it was that they didn't know where he is and didn't know where to send help, right? It wasn't easy. You can't just drop an email or a text in this time, right, to know where someone is. And so maybe it was they had this gift ready to go but hadn't had any word of where Paul was. Um, it may have been that they didn't, they didn't have the ability to help him, um, despite the fact that they had gathered this gift together for him, we know from other places in Scripture that the churches in Macedonia were in extreme poverty. 
uh, that there wasn't much money in these churches, that they really struggled. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is so thankful for the gifts that they send because it know, he knows that these rich gifts come out of their extreme poverty. That despite them not having anything, they've managed to scrape together a gift to give to him. Uh, we don't know why they didn't have any opportunity, but we know that at, the, at length, they did have the opportunity, and when it came, their concern for him revived, he said. Uh, you had then this opportunity to care for me, and you did. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful word for revived here. It's a word we might use for the new growth that comes in springtime. That, you know, you had no opportunity, and then your opportunity came to flower. And you were able to, to reach out to me and to care for me. But what Paul wants his church to know is, I'm thankful for your gift. I'm thankful for what it expresses. But I know that you cared even when you didn't have an opportunity to send me something. I'm thankful that you care for me. Whether you have opportunity to demonstrate it or not, I'm thankful to know that you care for me. Um, And and why, why would Paul say that to them? Why would he want to make sure that they get this message? I think it's because as a good pastor, he doesn't want this church to feel like in any way that they've let him down. Um, You know, we we know that feeling as Christians, don't we, of of letting people down or feeling like we're letting people down. And maybe the church in wanting to do something for Paul, not having the opportunity to do something for Paul, is thinking to themselves, Paul's in need, we'd love to help him, we don't have the opportunity to help him, we're letting him down. And Paul, being a very kind pastor, wants to come to them and say, I'm not so much thankful for your, for your cash, I'm thankful for your concern. Even when you didn't have the opportunity to do something for me, I knew you cared. And I'm thankful for that. Um, and I don't want you to feel as if you've let me down. I think that's such an important thing for Paul to do in this situation. I think it's an important thing for us as Christians. It, it reminds us of something. It's, it's not so important what we do at the end of the day. It's where our hearts are that matters the most. Because I think there's not one of us who doesn't sit there and say, I want to do big things for the Lord. Right? I, I, don't, I don't think there's too many of us that sit around thinking, I'd really like to do small things. If I could really just do modest things, that that would be great. No, we all want to do big things. That's the world we live in, and I think that's how we always feel. I want to do big things for the Lord. And maybe that comes from the fact that we know how much the Lord has done for us. We know that the Lord didn't hold back His Son. The most precious thing He had, He gave Him to us. And with Him, He gives us everything. And we know that we have nothing to bring to Him but our sins. That we have nothing we can return to God, really, for all the good that he's done to us. And that sometimes we sit as Christians and think, I want to do something big for him who's done something big for me. Who sent his son to die for my sins, who was raised for my justification. And what what can I do? What can I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And what I think Paul is reminding us here is, we're not all able to do big things. Sometimes we don't have opportunities to do big things. There are very few of us that have the ability to do big things. There are very few of us who have the resources to do big things. 
There are a lot of us who are like the Philippians, who want to express care and concern for the Lord and His church and just don't have the opportunity. And there can be a tendency when we feel that way to feel as if somehow we're letting the Lord down. Because shouldn't I be doing something big? The fact of the matter is most of us don't have the ability to do something big. Most of us don't have the resources to do something big. And the good news is God doesn't really, at the end of the day, need our abilities. He's able to do things. He doesn't need us. He's able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. He's not really needing our abilities. Um, He doesn't even need our resources. God is not a resource-poor God. Everything He needs, He has. And so sometimes we can get in this mindset of thinking, I want to do big things for God, and I'm not sure I can do anything. And, and Paul wants the church to know, he wants us to know. The concern and care you have for the church, God knows the care you have. You're not letting God down if you're not doing big things. Faithfulness in small things is a big thing. Paul knows that they had the care and the concern, and when it had opportunity to show, it did. And that's what we should be shooting for as the church, to have that care for the church, and as we have opportunity to help, to help. But to remember that help doesn't depend on our abilities, and help doesn't depend on our resources, it depends on God. And Paul wanted them to understand, it wasn't that you gave me the cash, that's not what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for your care and your concern. And I know it's there regardless of whether you had the opportunity to show it or not. And so we shouldn't feel that we need to do big things for the Lord. We just need to be faithful in the things that he's given us to do. Um, I meet people all the time in the church. They'll say, I really don't feel like I can do anything but pray. As if that's like some small throwaway thing. You know, A, it's the chief part of the thankfulness that we owe to God. So praying is the best way you can say thank you to God for all that he's given to you. And I bet every one of you can do that. Um, The other point that Scripture makes is prayer has great power as it's working. The prayers of a righteous person avail much, James says. And he points out that there have been people like us who prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years. Boys and girls, don't pray that way, because we need the rain in Southern California. But James says, you know, there, there was a time there was a man just like us, prayed it wouldn't rain, it didn't rain for three, three years. The, the skies became like brass. Nothing would come. And then he prayed again that it would, that it would rain, and it rained sheets for a long time. And it was James' way of saying, there's great power in prayer, and we can always do that. And it's the greatest way we can express thankfulness to God for what he's done. So if we sit around saying, you know, I would like to do something big for God, my question would be, have you prayed? Because that's the biggest thing you can do for other people. It's the biggest thing you can do for the church, to express your care and your concern. And Paul, in a sense, is saying, I know you were doing that for me even when you couldn't send me cash. The cash is great, but that's not what I'm really thankful for at the end of the day. I'm thankful for the concern that was behind it. 
for the heart of love for Christ and His church and the servants of the Lord. And that's where we want our hearts to be. Um, and that's what Paul's teaching us. So that true thankfulness is very important. Then he also teaches us about constant contentment. He teaches them why they shouldn't feel like they let him down because he knows how to be content in every situation. And he wants us to hear about constant contentment. I know that sounds like a flavor of tea. Um, I didn't really mean it that way. You know, choice between, you know, Earl Grey or constant contentment. Um, that's not really how I meant it. But, but Paul is teaching that contentment can be found in such a way that it doesn't depend on your circumstances and it doesn't go away. Um, Paul's saying, you know, you didn't, you didn't let me down because even when I didn't have your cash, I was okay. Um, he says, you know, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul understands how to be content whatever his circumstances. Um, He understands it and he wants his people to follow it. He's come to learn how to be content in every circumstance of life. Um, He's learned how to be content despite the difficulties that he's faced. Um, And we can kind of summarize these difficulties um, as sort of facing difficulties in status and difficulties in material goods. Difficulties in status and difficulties in supplies. That's what Paul has known how to suffer. He, he knows what it is to suffer being humbled. He knows what it is to suffer being humbled. It's the same word he used in, in chapter 2, verse 8, to talk about Jesus humbling himself to the form of a servant. Paul knows what it is to be humbled. To have a loss of status. Right? He knew that in coming to Christ, he knew what it, did, what it was to be a Pharisee of Pharisees, respected in the Jewish community, and to lose that all one day. Um, to be thought of as a traitor. Um, he knew what it is to go into the Christian community and to be an apostle of Christ, and yet to be regarded as of no account by people. Um, he knew what it was to be beaten and stoned and have to escape cities by you know, the, the skin of his teeth, and he had all kinds of difficulties. That he, he, and he says, you know I, know, I know how to be humbled. I know what it is to, to lose that esteem in people's eyes, to be held of no account. I know what it is to lack status. I know what it is to lack supplies. I know what it is to be hungry. Um, I know what it is to be in need, to have no money. And he's learned how to be content in the midst of humility and hunger and poverty. He's also learned to be content when things are going well. Um, we might think to ourselves, you know, Paul, I don't really need to learn that lesson. I've got, I've got that down. When things are going well, I can be content. I really struggle the opposite. Um, but we look at the world around us, there are a lot of people that have plenty and struggle. Right? Um, there's plenty of people who have a lot of status in the world. There's a lot of people who have a lot of supplies in the world. Everything they need in terms of money, in terms of provision. Um, And we know that those people have plenty of capacity to be unhappy. Right? We, We can read the news and we can follow the lives of the rich and the famous. They're not always happy. I read recently, money can't buy you happiness, but someone said it can't help your misery be made more comfortable. Um... 
but you're still miserable. Um, we know that money can't buy happiness, that contentment doesn't necessarily come from having status and having supplies in the world. The Bible is very clear about that. Money can't buy happiness. I read in Proverbs 30, someone saying, I really don't want poverty or riches because I know there are dangers in both. I know that if I have too much, I'll be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Other dangers to having too much. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Um, there, there's, no, there's no contentment that's to be found necessarily in earthly circumstances. Um, and that's what Paul really wants to drive home to his people. Um, I've learned the secret of being content. Um, I've been in times where things have gone well. I've been in times when things go poorly. And I know enough to know that if you seek for contentment in any of these circumstances, you won't find it. If your contentment depends on any of those things, you won't find it. We have an endless capacity to kid ourselves into thinking, if I just had X, I would be happy. And we fill in the blank, whatever that blank is, whatever, whatever X is for you. We can think, if I just had this, I would be happy. If I just had a little bit more of a status, I'd be happy. You know, I don't even need much, just a little bit more than this, and I'd be happy. Or the same with provisions. I always think of that famous story of someone going to, to John D. Rockefeller, who was so wealthy, they measured his wealth in a percentage of the nation's GDP. That's how wealthy he was. And, and someone came to him and said, how much would be enough for you? And you know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. Right? We're all like that, regardless of what it is. Wealth, status. If I just had this, then I'd be happy. And we can kid ourselves into thinking that. You know, if, I, if you're single, if I just got married, I'd be happy. And if you're married without kids, if we just had kids, we'd be happy. If I just had a little bit better job, I'd be happy. Made just a little bit more, I'd be happy. We can go through all of these kinds of things. But the fact of the matter is, if our contentment depends on any of those things, we're never going to find it. Um, first of all, because those things can't really satisfy in the end. And all of those things can be taken away. All of those things can fail us. We all know people who are well thought of at one point and are now really poorly thought of. And we all know people who were at one time rich and have become paupers. Those things don't last. What Paul is saying is the secret of contentment is not to be found in earthly circumstances, but in things that don't change. And Paul says, you know, there were times where people looked at me and said, here comes a God. And there were people, times that people said, there goes a dog. It was both for him. And he knew that that could go back and forth like that. But he says, you know, I have a status that can never change. And that's being a son of God. It's being a Christian. There's a status that no one can take away from me. And at the end of the day, it's the highest name you can be given is to be identified with Christ. 
And that status can't go away. And that's what Jesus came to do. He, gave, he came to give us things that, that could really bring contentment and wouldn't ever go away. Right? To say, I can give you a name that will never be brought low. That will always be glorious. To connect your name to my name. I can give you food that will never leave you hungry. And give you the bread of life, and he who eats of the bread of life will never be hungry again. Right? I can give you an inheritance that will be kept in heaven for you. Imperishable. Undefiled. A kind of treasure where thieves can't break in and steal it, and moth and rust can't destroy it. It's an everlasting provision. There's a status and a supply that can never go away. And Paul's saying, I've learned the secret that that will sustain you through all things. When the earthly circumstances go up and down, when the status and the supplies are high or the status and the supplies are low, I've learned that Christ is enough. That who I am in Him is enough. And what I have in Him is enough. I've learned that. And I've learned it because it's been revealed to me. Sometimes we read these statements of Paul and we say, I'd love to come to that place because I feel a lot of discontentment with where I am in life. And I'd love to come to the place where I could feel that kind of contentment. Well, where does the power to do that come from? Yes, Paul's learned it by going through it, but it's also been in a profound sense revealed to him that the prevailing power to do these things does not come from Paul ginning it up in himself. And that's where all of the self-help stuff falls short because it all will teach some version of the power is lying dormant in you and what you have to do is unlock it. Um, And and secular self-help teaches this. There's a lot of kind of Christian self-help that baptizes this kind of thinking and says you just can dig down deep inside of yourself and find that supply of power that's necessary to live this kind of victorious Christian life. But Paul is saying, you know, I had to learn this stuff by hard experience, but even it, even it wasn't just the experience that taught it to me, it was the revelation of God letting me know how these things are. Um, I have learned the secret of facing plenty. What Paul is really saying, the secret has been revealed to me. The secret has been revealed to me. It's not just that he's learned it by experience, but it's been revealed to him by God. That there's a power that's with him um, that enables him to endure all of the ups and downs of life as they come. And that's the power that we see in that, in that verse that we probably all love, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's been revealed to Paul as the power to be content in all circumstances of life? The power of Christ is at work in him to reveal these things to him. Um, The power of Christ is at work to enable him to find contentment in the midst of life, to remember who he is before the Lord and what he has in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this verse is talking about. 
Um, So often we like to take this verse out of its context and just sort of apply it to anything in life. The Padres had a pitcher a number of years ago, and he would repeat this verse every time before he pitched. Every time before he pitched a pitch, you could see him saying to himself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, Jesus was not talking here about throwing a good slider. That, that's not, this isn't sort of a magic cookie jar that you can just get anything you want out of it um, whenever you want. Paul's connecting this very intimately to what he's just said. Where, where does the power to endure in life come from? It comes from Christ strengthening you. That when I was brought low, there was Jesus with me who knew how to be brought low. And when I was riding high, I might have been tempted to forget who I was riding high. I was reminded of the Lord who is exalted. And Paul said, that's what strengthens me to get through what I face in life. That's what strengthens me, no matter what is happening to me in the world, up or down. To know that I have a status that's fixed that I have riches that are fixed, that I have a strength that comes from the Lord who's with me. And so all in saying thank you to this congregation, he wants them to understand this so they can find that contentment as well. Because if we seek it anywhere else, we're not going to find it. And if we seek to just try to maintain an even keel in our own power, we're not going to be able to do that either. But when we struggle and we say, how how am I going to be content in this situation? We can say with Paul, I have a Lord who's with me to strengthen me, to remind me who I am and what I have and that that will never change. We need that reminder, don't we? So that we can remain content in who we are in Christ and what we have in Him regardless of what comes to us in this life until He comes again in glory and makes all things new. That's the ultimate hope. We have this inheritance and one day we will receive it. But until that day, he will sustain us by his strength. And we can thank him for that. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for revealing to us in your word that the Lord is with us and has given us a status that can never change. Thank you that we have a name that we've been given in him. Thank you that we have riches in him that cannot perish or spoil or fade. Help to fix our minds on those things when we face either the difficulties or the joys of this life, that in the midst of joys we would not lose sight of you, that we would remember to be thankful in our prosperity, and that when things go poorly with us, that we would not forget to fix our eyes on you and to be patient, knowing that because we belong to you and because We have riches in heaven that await us. We one day will see that glory, that anything we suffer will be turned to joy. Help to sustain us, and help to sustain us with the prevailing power that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we not seek that patience or that strength in ourselves, but always seek it in Him. And may you remind us gloriously that when we look to Him for strength, we find it in abundance. Thank you for the Lord who shows us how to live a life fixed with his eyes fixed on you and who gives us his spirit that we might live a life that is fixed on him. Help us in these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.